It's Thursday the 18th of February. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. How are you, Shana? I'm great, Timmy. The semi-finals are here in the Australian Open, mate, and uh, lots of interesting games going on, mate. Yeah, Michael Tebbett, of course, former 28 in the world. He's going to join us today to break it all down. And eSports, so much happening in that space. Brad Timmons, let's go. Shane, well, I couldn't believe what happened last night. I thought Rafael Nadal, well, you know, this legend on his way to 21 Grand Slams was just cruising along then. Boom, Sitsipas just roared back. He did, mate, and uh, and Rafa, the way he handled the loss was uh, is a class act. But um, yeah, Sitapas, mate, he unbelievable. To, he's, I think he's only the third guy in history to come back from two sets down against Rafa. Um, fantastic comeback, which puts him now into the semi final. So he's he's obviously very excited. Yeah, and it was as you say a class act. Rafael Nadal would not make excuses. We've heard so much no. bleating from individuals about quarantine, and he said no, no, he was better on the night. So well done to Sitapas. He's an extraordinary tennis player. And, uh, yeah, what a comeback that was. Ash Barty yesterday, uh, she'd make no excuses either, talking about class acts. Yeah, Machova, um, once again, she was one set down. Ash totally dominated first set, 6-1. It looked like Ash was going to just cruise through another two-set uh, match. But, um, yeah, Machova came back and showed some real determination. And, uh, look, she's she's the smoky for this tournament now. And uh, in the other semifinal, you've got Osaka versus Williams. And you'd have to think the winner of that may be the eventual uh, trophy winner, but uh, Machova might have something to say about that. Yeah, a lot of eyebrows were raised during that match because uh, Barty came out and dominated, then Makova came out and said, oh, I'm feeling dizzy, and there was a medical break, and then after that medical break, she came back and and, and that's where she won. She got her momentum and, and maybe Ash was on the back foot. But again, no excuses. Uh, she wouldn't make him. What about St. George Lawara? Ben Hunt, look, at, he, he's always been such a talent. I remember when he got um, under-20s player of the year, and that's a, that's a decade ago. But Anthony Griffin showing a lot of faith. He's given him the C next to his name, Captain. Yep. Ben Hunt takes over from um, Cam McGuinness. And, uh, yeah, you're talking about excuses. I think the Dragons are going to need a few excuses this year. It's uh, It's been a turmoil start. Uh, tumultuous start to the before they even kick the ball mate but um yeah a lot of things happening in the dragons but i think they're going to pretty much struggle this year but we'll wait and see yeah but if these young guys come through they've got some Mm. young talent if they if they can blend in with the lomaxes of the world who knows uh yeah it's going to be an interesting season ahead and of course we don't need to talk at length to this but uh, collingwood have put a committee in place after those uh findings of the systemic racism so uh, they're trying they're trying to put all the building blocks in and around their club um, the mighty Collingwood who talk about controversy they've had a, a very very difficult time over the past couple of months what do you think of this pitch in India mate getting to cricket well uh, look I think um, yeah you saw Coley come out and defend the pitch and uh, interesting comment what he said he said uh, it obviously swings around in England and, and we don't complain about that you've got to get through that and uh, just because it turns here um, India scored almost 300 in the second inning, so it can't be too bad. But you, you must look at, I think it was Root who got out in the second innings, a, a ball to a left arm off spinner. He just pushed forward and almost took his shoulder off um, the side of his neck. Um, so it, it exploded. But uh, India do play well when the ball's turning. And uh, you know, that's always been the trouble when you go to India. You've got to face those conditions. Yeah, they made a lot of changes from the first test win to the second test. And Shane Warne in particular came out and said, well, why would you do that for? Like, you've got enough time. Why wouldn't you stick to a winning formula? This is England I speak to. 
you know, back to Chennai. I remember playing over there, and uh, it is very, very hot. Um, and the ground actually looks quite green if you watch the match on TV. But when you're there in person, the ground's quite rough and it's uh, it's dry. And you normally got cuts on your legs and your arms from diving in the outfield. But um, an Indian crowd, yeah, there wasn't a huge crowd there, but uh, they really get on your back. So, yeah, it's it's tough conditions, but uh, one all in the series now. It's called the Buckingham Canal, isn't it? The sort of open, the open creek at the back that's got everything in it that, that sort of has that rich stench. That's where Dean Jones got crooked during the Tide Test. Yeah, the Buckingham Canal. It's, yeah, I think it's been pronounced quite differently a couple of times over there. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. All right, let's finish with a little bit of motorsport. And Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren, he was uh, very excited to get into the new car. They're very snappy looking things. One of my uh, young blokes absolutely loves McLaren. He ever sees ones, oh, there's a McLaren. But he... He struggled to get in the seat. I tell you what, it's the first time I ever felt relatable to uh, Daniel Ricciardo because <laughs> I'm an exclusive John Neal Mazda driver, but there's some part of the range that I struggle as a big unit to get into. Yeah, they, they look like matchbox cars when you see them on the road, don't, don't they? But, um, yeah, tiny. And I think um, if you look at all Formula 1 drivers, there's no Formula 1 drivers over. I think there's only, only ever been one over six foot. Um, they're little guys as it is. And uh, the McLaren seats, yes, very tiny, Tim. Not suited to us. Yeah, look um, – a few times I got in uh, motor cars through my time at the Today Show when they were doing bits and pieces and stunts and stuff and tell you what it was like squeezing too much into a small space. <laughs> anyway, coming up on Afternoon Sport, so much going on in the eSports space and our man, Brad Timmons. It's time to talk esports and so much affected, of course, with that snap five-day lockdown in Melbourne. Many thinking it was an overreaction, but it's over now. Esports also hugely affected. Brad Timmons joins us now. How are you, Brad? Yeah, good, Tim. Hey, mate. So, Brad, talk us to the Australian Open. Yeah, so the Australian Open have been one of the more progressive codes, I think, locally and globally uh, with the introduction and kind of gaming and esports becoming part of their uh, general season on a, on a year-by-year basis. This is their fourth year that they have integrated Fortnite, which um, I think we've chatted previously, you know, 350 million monthly active users on that game. So there's obviously a very significant fan base for Fortnite and they're marrying the tennis fans with gaming fans with the introduction of what's called the FNCS, which is the a global esports competition that Fortnite run called the Fortnite National Championship Series, and they've integrated that into the Australian Open this year. And how's it gone uh, through all the wobbles and the, the turning upside down? We were talking before, like if you ever wanted to make a melodrama or a 30 for 30 about the Australian Open of 2021, it'd be pretty gripping stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's been unfortunate with the uh, the, the crowd situation from from the Australian Open. Uh, thankfully, I guess in some ways, Fortnite was never going to have crowds, and they weren't actually delivering a, a physical um, event space as part of this year. So we were already a little bit protected. Sure, from a production perspective, things needed to sort of be recalibrated as um, people went back into stage four lockdowns. But in some ways, this is just a really interesting way of thinking about sport and esports blending because in the uh, you know in the event that there are some COVID situations that happen with live sport in the future, in some ways, esports can supplement some of that and then, you know, offset some of those pain points, not only from a fan perspective, but potentially for sponsors and for people that are still trying to, you know, market or advertise, um, you know, uh, their brands and products and services over short periods of time, um, like the Australian Open, for example. Brad, um, there's no Aussies left in the in the physical um, strain open. Um, uh, Barty bowing out the last Aussie left. Um, are there any Aussies involved in the esports version? 
Yeah, this is the cool thing about um, FNCS is that it's a global regionally centric competition. So it's happening in nine major markets as we speak. So pretty much 99% of the players that are playing within the FNCS, um, which does run um, for another three weeks after the Australian Open's actually finished, are all um, from the Oceania region. So oh, wow. the vast majority yeah. being Australia and, uh, and New Zealand. And what's really cool is, um, you know, our time zones are very different to, uh, to the US and to Europe, obviously. So we're getting a lot of fans that are watching just really high level competitive Fortnite on platforms like Twitch, um, not only because, um, you know, the, the guys play at a really high level, but also because the time zones are quite desirable. Who's going to win? Who are the stars and favourites? Obviously, um, we saw Sitsipas beat Rafa yesterday and you get upsets going all the time. And what about what about in esports? Yeah, there's, there's a multitude of really, really strong players, um, but there's a one guy in particular called Fresh. Now, he's he's, he's what you call a, the unicorn of, um, of video games. It's, he's actually like a really awesome content creator. So he produces a lot of content on Twitch and YouTube. And it's really fun and engaging, but he plays at this really super high level as well. So, um, you know, you think, think about some of those tennis players that are super entertaining, um, probably less so when you're thinking about people like Djokovic, but, you know, he's almost like the Kyrgios of, uh, Kyrgios of esports and, he, and, and he's an an, an Aussie kid that's done incredibly uh, well. He's actually performed um, at the Fortnite World Cup, which is um, their global competition, which is run annually. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Hey, Timmy, I think we need gamer names, I think. We'll, we'll come up with those later, maybe, maybe next week. Hey, can you fresh, 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 yeah, fresh, fresh Gilbert? Hey, can you bet on esports? Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those funny things where um, it, it's been happening for quite some time, but it's not spoken about that much. Um, last okay. year's gross annual revenue that went into gambling for esports sports was $13.5 billion. So um, to, to answer your question, in, in a macro sense, yes, 100%. And in, in a micro sense, there's um, a lot of different competitions that are being bet on that are very sanctioned. There's some shady parts of betting, which I think is always the way when it comes to sport from, from a global perspective. But as they continue to get more sophisticated, um, you know, in terms of broadcast rights and professional teams participating, um, gambling is becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, and you've got to be very careful with regulations around it. We've seen it in cricket and other sports, haven't we? Uh, who is doing a good job at introducing gaming and esports into their codes? Yeah, so I think there's global uh, global codes um, have got endemic video games, and that makes it very easy for them. And what I mean by that is like the NBA has an NBA video game. So mm-hmm. every single NBA team now has an NBA 2K team. So that's really cool. Um, other codes like you know uh, the Bundesliga are doing a really, really good job with FIFA. Um, I guess from our perspective, what we like to see is is, is codes even on a local level, like the um, like the tennis, like NRL and AFL, that have given you know non-endemic games a crack. So they've used Fortnite because they know it's really popular, even though it's not necessarily a sports game. And, and I think they're going to be the codes that are going to continue to actually figure out what it is to be able to create this relationship with younger fans. Um, we often talk about um, the, the issue that we we think about um, uh, young people coming into sport is um, their grassroots program doesn't actually have esports and gaming in it. So imagine if you've got a kid that doesn't mind kicking a footy and play, you know, playing a little bit of AFL. If you reward um, him or her with the opportunity to sort of play games and um, do football at the same time, we think there'll be a demonstrative effect for the codes because you're actually basically saying, look, we know you're going to play games anyway. There's a significantly high proportion of young kids that play yeah. it. So let's just try and fuse this together to allow an opportunity for you know uh, you, you to potentially be able to prosper in both both codes being esports and traditional sports. Wow, mate. So you're saying almost that, that grassroots sport could um – 
almost be used as a, a, a video gaming could be used as, as a ret- retention strategy to grassroots sport and and acquisition and, yeah. and i think you know the, the reality is the um the skill and coordination you're needing in video games now there's there's some um, sheer pliability around hand-eye coordination into the actual traditional sport itself but also you just act a bit more cool you know i think it's gone gone and gone to the world is that you're like a fat, a fat kid in basement playing video games or you're an elite athlete that's actually just not the case anymore you're actually just you, know, you might just be Tim or you might just be Shane and you actually like video games and you like sport at the same time. So I think code that are more progressive in their thinking and that will um, have a really um, a really strong strategy um, moving into their future. All right. Well, when Shane and I make our debut, I reckon Blonde Tips and Big Leb are a couple of good nicknames. <laughs> Brad, Tim, it's good to talk to you, mate. <laughs> you too, guys. See you, mate. Bye. Coming up, we'll wrap up all the tennis with Michael Tebbett, former Australian player, of course, got to number 28 in the world. He'll put his lens on everything Australian Open. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com As a professional sports person, I knew the value of a good coach. And being a business owner is no different. With the Business Coach from Growth Workshop, you can build the business you've always dreamed of. A valuable business that runs by itself. If you need to take control of your future with a winning strategy, Growth Workshop specialises in improving your cash flow, developing sales and marketing strategies to drive revenue, and getting those ideas out of your head into an action plan. Growth Workshop will help you develop a business plan and achieve your financial goals with regular guidance from our experienced team. Whether you want to drive revenue with a new marketing strategy or put the right team and systems in place, we'll help you free up from the day-to-day and allow you to grow your business. We can help. Get in touch with Growth Workshop Business Coaching at growthworkshop.com.au to book in for your no-obligation strategy session. Growth Workshop, turning your good idea and hard work into a valuable asset. This is Afternoon Sport, time to have a look at the tennis and a real treat today to have a a player that was formerly number 28 in the world. He's travelled the world, very good in singles, outstanding in doubles. Michael Tebbett, how are you? Hi there. Michael, what have you made of the Australian Open so far? There's no Aussies left. Yeah, well, Buddy losing yesterday was a big surprise, especially he's cruising so early in the match, 6-1-2 love, and that medical timeout seemed to throw a... But yeah, I mean, it's a long time now since Australians won a, an Australian Open. I thought this year might be the year. Yeah, 40 years. It seems a long time ago because it is. And what did you think of that, Michael? Um, feeling dizzy, feeling wobbly, hardly seems as a credible ex- excuse to me. And it, tactics, all sorts of tactics are used all over the place in this game. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. It's just sort of a hard one for the umpires to adjudicate. I mean, how can... You tell how sick she really is. Um, I don't know what time limit you really give on it, but um, I think it was a 10-minute break, wasn't it, which seems a bit mm. excessive, especially this late in the tournament. The you know injury people should be able to be right outside the court. So, yeah, that, that definitely threw her, but I think Barty herself didn't make any excuses after the match. Hey, Michael, uh, it looks like uh, we're going to have crowds back for the next couple of matches, you know, 7,600 allowed into the stadium thanks to Daniel Andrews. Um, h- how important was the crowd, particularly when you played at home, um, to, to your performance, do you think? Oh, I think it helps a lot. I mean, I think that's what hurt uh, Alex Dimonar uh, in yeah. his match against Fognini. He really draws from the crowd. Um, I think even for the foreign players, it's um, the Australian crowd is really knowledgeable and uh, I think it'll – and it obviously just adds to the overall atmosphere. So I think uh, it's great that the crowds are back in now. 
That was a cracking match last night with Sitsipas and Rafa. That's the reason why I'm trying to still get uh, sleep out of my eyes and have <laughs> gone past lunchtime. But, uh, yeah, Rafa looked cruising. He looked, he looked he gets in that machine-like space and you just think, oh, here he goes. And then Tsitsipas, uh, he's an extraordinary talent, so gifted, came back 7-6 and then boom, boom. Yeah, well, I mean, it was an amazing match. I mean, Nadal was just playing you know, flawless tennis in the beginning. Um, his tactics were, were great. You know, he was just uh, – I've never seen him do it before, just draw the ball off the court from side to side and just making, you know, Tsitsipas, I think, 6-5, um, just stretch for every ball. and. But the thing that was most impressive was Sitspas just, you know, stayed with it. He didn't get down. He just, he wasn't emotional. He just kind of stayed in it. And just, he, I guess he knew that eventually Nadal couldn't keep that level up for, for that long. Um, I mean, I don't think in the third set, Nadal didn't lose a point on his serve until his sixth service game, which is crazy. But Sitspas just stayed with it and eventually got him in the end. It was a great win. Mate, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of uh, Nick Curios, and I think um, I, I thought he played particularly well this tournament. Um, do you think he's matured quite a bit? Oh, I think he's definitely matured. I just think you know it's really disappointing that he hasn't done more with his game because he's you know he's he's probably the most talented player along with Federer on the circuit. Yeah. Um, I just think it has to mean more f- for him to, to you know he has to really want it. But I, I think he's definitely matured. He's he's not. There's the antics are definitely less and less these days, but. Um, We'd really like to see him just have a crack, you know, for one year, just give put everything into it, but he just doesn't seem to want to do it. Yeah, he gets this homesickness, doesn't he? He's a, he's a real homebody, trained in Canberra this year, which really suited him. But but even still, when he got to Dominic team, you can't have a year off and then get to crunch time and expect everything to go your way because it was a great comeback against Hubo, the, the French guy, and then and to go down against team, an extraordinary five-setter. But uh, I'm like you. I remember I was on the telly reporting it that day when he was roaring back at Wimbledon as a young bloke, but... Uh, It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be very, very nice. What about the other bloke? Donut Tomic. We expected him to do a few donuts on his Tirana uh, on Santa Court. That was what Shane Lee was predicting. He, he's, yeah, like he, he's another one. He's completely untapped potential. Yeah, I, I think he has far less potential than uh, Nick. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think he's another guy whose head really isn't in the game. I think he's had more of a troubled upbringing than Nick mm. has. Um, but. Yeah, while he's, I definitely don't think he's reached his potential. I don't think he's got the same sort of potential Nick does. No. Hey, um, interesting in, in in the women's game, uh, Serena Williams. Uh, she's sitting on twenty three uh, titles, uh, one behind Margaret Court, and she seemed to have stumbled uh, to try and equal her. You'd have to think she's playing a Saka, which is a big match in the semi final. Um, and you got in the other semi-final, Machova and and Brady. You'd have to think Serena's this is her best chance of potentially equaling Margaret Court. Yeah, well, I think the thing that's different about her, she looks really like a lot fitter this yeah. this tournament than she has in the past. Um, even though she's reached finals and so forth, I, I don't think she's had the fitness to you know win those seven matches. But I think this year she she looks really strong. I think if she gets past Osaka, yeah, I, I expect her. I think mm. she'll play Brady in the final, but I would expect her experience and the fact that she does look. Um, a lot fitter this year that she's definitely got a chance to to win it. There's been a lot of whinging, moaning, groaning. It's been quite a a few weeks. But when you look back at it, and I'm sure uh, some of the people that sort of complain will look back and just say, look, 
we're very thankful that the whole Open happened. I think that Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia have done a remarkable job to keep the car on the track, so to speak. Yeah, well, it's such a huge undertaking these days to, to get a sporting event, especially one as big as the Australian Open off the ground. Um, you know, those players who complain, I know it's not, you know, it's not easy sitting in a hotel for two weeks and then trying to compete, but, you know, they, they, ha- they need to have some perspective. You know, they're coming from countries that haven't got coronavirus under control and um, they just needed to respect our, the way we're doing things here. Um, but I think it's been overall, yeah, a great Australian Open and hopefully it can finish with a bang with, with the crowds back in. Mark, you know I love my tennis and we've been talking for a while, mate, about having a hit and I, I believe you're moving house today, so maybe my best chance is to get you tomorrow when you're all sore. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> it's a funny story is I, I had a hit with someone who did his hamstring the other day and uh, he was asking me if I'd ever done I said no and oh. I did it the very next day. <laughs> did you oh. really? Mercy's Never in my law. whole life I pulled a hamstring and I did it the next day. So um, it's a bit sore at the moment. So, yeah, now's your best chance, I think. We'll definitely play tomorrow then. Yep. Yeah, I, I struggled to walk on terra firma, let alone play tennis. But, Michael, <laughs> uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, St. John's Park boy, uh, your former fellow Westie like myself, you were talking off air, you used to train on the old Patricia Brothers Fairfield courts. What's what's happening in your world now? Um, well, I'm still I'm coaching. So I've been back in Australia uh since 2005, so 15 years now, yeah, I coach on the Lower North Shore. Um, I was working for Tennis Australia for several years, but I'm just doing stuff on my own now. So, yeah, if you need a lesson, hit me up. Very very much so, mate. And you were, uh, you were right up there, the top uh, ace servers of all time across all, all formats, mate. So, uh, mate, yeah, definitely hit you up, mate. You're, you're a great coach. What was it like? What was it like? Just, just, just to, winding the clock back a bit. What was it like to be in, in that era of Agassi and Sampras and, um, you know, like to, to get to number 28 in the world? There were so many talented tennis players and all, all those great moments in the doubles that you had. Yeah, it was great. I mean, <clears throat> it seems like a lifetime ago now, but, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, I played across a few eras. Um, you know, Lendl and Becker were still playing wow. Edberg when I first started. And then, you know, later on, Federer was just sort of starting up as I ended my career. So, yeah, it was it was amazing traveling around the world and playing tournaments. And I think I played in 40 different countries overall. So, yeah, it was a great experience. And if you had to pick one highlight, what, what would that be personally? I guess my best result at a grandstand was fourth round of the US Open. So, um, you know, that was great. I played fourth round against Chang on uh, their Memorial Day on Centre Court. So that was that was a great experience. Okay. Now, if any uh, budding tennis players want to get their Oliver Rackets out and have a lesson with Michael, uh, how, how do they go? What's, what's your website? Let's give it a plug. Well, the company is called 100% Tennis. So the website is 100%tennis.com. All right. Beautiful. Thanks so much for coming on. We'd love to have a chat down the track. All right. Thanks, Tim. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. Big thank you today to both Brad Timmons and to Michael Tebbett. And thank you to our sponsors, SpartanSportsHQ.com. And thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. See you tomorrow. See you then, guys.